Knowing reality, finding peace. Journalist Sarah Mann speaks with Jonathan Harrison, the non-dual Buddhist psychology and meditation teacher and author of the book, Ending Stress. Jonathan Harrison is an interesting character. Like me, he was born in Britain. Um, he has a background in physics and mathematics, but over the years he, he took a shift and uh, he became much more interested in Buddhist philosophy, meditation. Now he is doing a lot of things. He's teaching privately, he's teaching in groups, he works with the Israel School of Mind, Body and Medicine. And his emphasis is on something which I think is very interesting. The idea of ending stress, if that's at all possible. Um, so let's get started with that. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. Tell me how you came down this road, first of all. You know, you, you were a physician. You, you were studying physics and mathematics. You know, you were, you were perhaps not so clued in to philosophy. What happened? Well, there are different levels I can answer that and respond to that. But if I respond to it, maybe in a way that is... Um, useful yes. in, in the context of this uh, discussion between us. Uh, I don't know how I got to it because I don't know where the process started. For example, I was born. And then before my grandmother's grandmother was born, there was some genetic content. And then people influenced me. I met people. And then I happened to be living in a time when I happened to meet a certain teacher who was also alive at the same time. Who was the teacher? Uh, Dr. Peter Fenner, an Australian philosopher and one of the pioneers of non-dual wisdom in the West. So, so what is this, non-dual wisdom? Well, non-dual obviously comes from uh, in the, the Latin duo, meaning two. As soon as we think in concepts, then we're thinking dualistically. By that I mean, for example, if I say woman, because in my mind I've, I've divided the universe in my mind, psychologically, into two categories, women and not women, or high because low, or God because there's a devil, or good because there's bad. So it's always pairs. This is duality. This is what gives rise to stress in life, because the real world isn't constructed out of concepts. So dualistic thinking is really just conceptual thinking, which is almost all our thinking anyway. What about what's in between? So you can say, you know, God or the <coughs> devil. What about an atheist who says, I believe in neither? Well, as an atheist against a non-atheist or a theist. Whenever I talk about anything, I can only relate to it in contrast to what it isn't. Otherwise, it doesn't have any existence. A concept's always two, two categories, which together are everything. But the point is that the real world doesn't exist in that form. It just is. But tell me more about Peter Fenner. I'm interested in this as a beginning because he was obviously a bit of a mentor to you. Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, if I hadn't met Peter, all the books would have been just dry. And uh, <laughs> I think uh, the Tibetans... He brought it to life. Well, the Tibetans talk very much about direct transmission. And all the Eastern 
meditative and contemplative uh, disciplines, wisdom traditions, emphasize the importance of a teacher-student relationship. Absolutely. Well, I think it's so imperative, isn't it? I think there is a place for teachers. You can learn on your own, but having, having met one, he was there, and I don't know whether there is, but there was something in the room. The first time you met him? Yeah, yeah, I remember it very, very clear. I won't forget it. It's a kind what, of what, what happened? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, I went in, there were 40, 50 people sitting in a lovely room uh, with a nice glass window looking down onto the beach and the sea. It was a beautiful day, sunny and pleasant. And I went in expecting something. I don't know why I got there because it's not my kind of thing at all. I'm very much uh, feet on the ground. Right, the mathematics boy, you know. Uh, well, yeah, actually mathematics is not connected at all to reality, but physics is a bit more. Maybe. But uh, I sat there and uh, 40, 50 people, mm. and they were sitting quietly. Nobody's telling them to be quiet. And Peter was sitting there in the middle. So there was a quietness that just arose from the being well, in the room, maybe. I, I don't know what it arose from. It was there. It was uh, very tangible. and But I could see that nobody was deliberately being quiet. And Peter was sitting there. He was making eye contact with people. He was completely with it and everything. and uh, But he wasn't saying anything. And I got very, very nervous. I didn't like this stuff at all, this kind of quietness. Well, I think it wasn't, that's quite interesting me. is that we, we have, I notice it often in life, but particularly in Israel, that people have the need to talk constantly and they don't feel very comfortable with silence. It makes them nervous, as you mm, say. Yeah. I, think I wonder why that is. I think it was, a, if I think it was a, the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, I think, that said that most of the troubles of humankind are because a person can't go into a room and close the door and sit by himself a quietly. Entirely. So and I think it was Edward Gibson who said... Uh, um, companionship is silver, but solitude is golden. I'm Sounds good. Something as well. like that. But uh, when I, you know, Peter just wasn't doing anything. Now it took me a long time. I don't know if it was months or years after I began to begun to understand that he wasn't doing anything because nothing needed to be done. If there'd been something that needed to be done, he'd have done it. What do you think people expected when they came to this room? To I see have him? no idea. I expected something. And what, whatever. what did you expect? I, uh, I don't know, but whatever I expected, it wasn't there. A lecture, a seminar, something, words of wisdom, yeah, 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 all that enlightenment. Stuff. Something, yeah, yeah, <laughs> enlightenment, that's heavy. <laughs> that is heavy. But in fact, I got nothing, <laughs> and the nothing turned out to be pure gold or beyond gold. It was that, it was so, it. So what was the nothing? Uh, you can, I, know, I know that's a hard complete, thing to explain. But complete absence of constraints and things that you need to do and things you have to do and things you mustn't do. There's a certain there's a sort of freedom in the air. There's a feeling. I don't mean that you could go and mock, run amok and do crazy things, but I mean there was there were no there's no feeling of rules. It was just a sort of responsiveness. You could call it compassion, call it com kindness. It was just a responsiveness to what was going on. And Peter was highly responsive. But at that moment, apparently, there was nothing particularly needed. Nobody needed a drink of water. Nobody was feeling bad. So there was nothing actually specifically that had to be done, so he wasn't doing it. And uh, that took me a long time to absorb that possibility. How long did you sit in this room, all of you, doing uh, nothing? A couple of days. A couple of days? Yeah, yeah. And uh, did, did your mind run very freely whilst you were sitting there? It was there, terrible. Right? It was a million directions. I, I thought <laughs> I was going crazy. I, I was... I was going to get up and go. I, this is, you know, this, um, this is not my stuff at well, all. What stopped you from getting up and going? I don't know, but uh, something, something there was in the air, and I could feel it. I don't want to sound mystical or anything, but it was mm. very, very clear, and I knew that I wanted it. I knew it was this. No, I but think there are times in life where two people, or even a group, but often I found two people are together, and really no words need to be said. Mm. There's just an understanding, right, which you can't put your finger on, but that it's there. You got it. That's it.
So it was there. So so after this two days of going slightly bonkers, you know, from doing nothing. Well, it's slightly did bonkers. Did you manage to start speaking to Peter? Or? Well, uh, there was a, I remember coffee break. This was back in England, right? No, 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 I was here. I was here already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on a visit here. Okay. Uh, later, I studied with him every year in the in the French Alps in a little isolated. Is he still alive? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, good. He's in Brisbane, Australia. Maybe, maybe I should go and you know do nothing with he's him. He's a good guy. He's uh, he under he's there. He understands it. He's a very very sharp guy. So in this coffee break. So I you know I went over to him and um, he at one point he said you could regard this work. He didn't say very much. What he said tended to be very accurate and to the point. So at one point he said, you could regard this work as a variation on Dzogchen. So I went okay, to him. Okay, you need to explain to me what is Dzogchen. Well, that's what I asked him, right. you see. So I went to him and said, what was that funny word you said? <laughs> he said, uh, you said it could be a variation on z- z- what? Is on Dzogchen. I said, well, what's that? So he told me, which is a Tibetan non-dual discipline, and regarded by Tibetans as one of the two uh, highest peaks of Tibetan Spirituality, you might say, encompassing everything. So we're back everything. to non-dualism. This is absolutely, this absolutely. So, uh, Zogchen is a. Is Did you a go away and read about Zogchen? Yeah, I built a library of about eighty books and read mm-hmm. them all, and began to understand. But it was uh, there's a spirit of Peter was in it. Uh, you know, I could feel it. I could sure. feel. I could feel what I'd felt in that hall, and that, as it were, inspired the the reading because it. Um, because it's very strange material to read at the beginning. It's very difficult to understand. But did you think you think you ended up developing your own philosophy out of it, or you just yeah, absolutely. You know, you. So what happened next? Do I you think you my way. You think your way. He sure. Th- he thinks his way. So you can't you can't avoid that. It takes on your own flavor. Be- so you built up a library. Yeah. At this time, what were you doing work-wise? You were working as a physicist. I was a, no. I I worked in defense industries for a long time and uh, by this time I was so you cons- really had your feet on the ground absolutely but I was you know this time I was cons- I hope I did a bit anyway from <laughs> but uh, this time I was consulting for high-tech companies right uh, in uh, development management and I, I was playing a troubleshoot I was getting them out of all kinds of problems which was fun it was very interesting work because he threw at me everything His companies threw at me everything that had completely failed disasters and that's fun to work with that stuff that's uh, challenging so I was uh, very much in management and in software management and high-tech management, talking to customers and putting out fires and, you know, enjoying myself because it's also fun, fun right. kind of work. And um, But what happened? You felt, were you felt, did no, you feel well challenged in this work? Or you you want, how did you make a move? Well, like I said in the book, you did. like I said yeah. in the book, maybe they've always been looking for truth. And that goes back to my own what my psychotherapist might have been interested in. Sure. Um, it goes back to my own roots and looking for truth, looking for something absolute. Is and there anything so Yeah, absolute? absolute there is, yeah. All right, we'll get on to that later. Yes, it, it turns out it's very simple too. Oh. <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so so I've, I've been agonizing for a long time, you know. Oh, don't worry about <laughs> it. Yeah, may, maybe it took me all this time to get here. <laughs> so... So you decided what you wanted to make a career move or a and shift? No, I sort of um, the sort of consulting work dried up a bit, and uh, uh, what happened was that um, you know I, I did this study, and then I I began doing this meditation a bit myself, trying it out because that's where you actually internalize the stuff deeply. It it stops being intellectual; it begins to be you, it begins to be become part of you. And uh, I had a psychologist friend who threatened to send me a patient of hers. Who need it was very very angry, and she said you sent. I said you can't send it. I don't know how to teach any of this stuff. And she said yeah, but your stuff is all about eliminating anger from 
from your life, isn't it? I right. said, yeah, but theoretically, yeah, but I can't do that. She says, well, I'm sending him to you anyway. So he arrived. Okay. <laughs> so and he smashed up your clinic. And he was a, well, he was a very, very angry person, I remember. And Why, um, why was he so angry, do you think? Oh, yeah, it was built. There's some people who are just built angry. It's right. Maybe there's an anger gene somewhere. I think you could but be he right. Was, he was, uh, he was um, let's say, very nicely, very, 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 very troubled person. So we worked together. For, and, for um, a long time? And then I began to get more people. And uh, it all How did you deal with him? If I may um, ask, was it very difficult? According to what was necessary, each moment we, we tried to uh, find out what was going on or each moment and to distinguish reality, what was really happening, from what he thought. Can when you give me an example? Well, when you're angry, it means you think somebody's doing something wrong. It might be you think you're doing something wrong or you think I'm doing something wrong. What if someone is doing something wrong to you? There is no such thing. That's always an opinion. There's no such thing in reality. Okay, so opinion, let me is. be provocative here. And this guy comes to you and he says, I'm very, very angry. My wife hit <coughs> me over the head with a baseball bat last night. Right. Well, and you say? Well, you know, I understand. First of all, I understand. I mean, I would also be angry. I'd probably right. kill him. He's lucky it was him, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that a tangible example of right and wrong? No. Because in, in, It's a in tangible example of, let's say, for example, somebody came in the door into the studio here. Right. Um, and started throwing things around and screaming and shouting. And let's suppose I got very angry, which I might well do. And let's suppose you stayed completely calm. Right. So is it him that's making us angry? Well, I can't really say that because the anger isn't in you, but it's in me. So I, if I really look at it deeply, scientifically, I have to come to the conclusion, I think, that the anger is, is in my reaction. It's not in what's happening. It's in my reaction to what's happening. I think you're making a very good point here. If I may <coughs> give you an example, I have a very, my best friend in London owns a, a restaurant and a wine bar. And some years ah, ago, tell me what you have to tell me where it is sometimes. Sure. And <laughs> anyway, many years ago, it, it's a standing joke. Uh, a customer of his came in, and he was having a lot of problems at home. And he asked for a drink. It was late. My friend said, "Sorry, the bar is closed." And he picked up a chair, and he threw it through the window. <laughs> and my friend is like you, perhaps. I mean, I, I don't know if he'd call himself a Buddhist, but he's very, very calm. And he just turned round to him, and instead of screaming and shouting and saying, "What have you done? I can't believe," it, he said you know, I'm going to have to call the police. And the guy was instantly a bit calmer and said, let me call my wife. His wife came, apologized profusely, said, said she'd pay for the damage. And the situation was somewhat diffused, which, and I, I always think back to this because this situation could have gone in another very different way. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just a question of the anger we have, is it? It's how we deal with anger or how we respond to it, should I say. Well, for me, it's the same thing in the sense that I understand what you're saying, but for me, it's the same thing in the sense that the anger happens. My body reacts this way. In yeah, anger. I mean, that it starts in the body, but, doesn't it? But the it? way I deal with it is also comes out of the same body. But it's, but it's two di very different things because to feel anger, I think, is one thing. But how you decide to, to deal with it or respond to it is surely something very different. Well, for me, the anger comes about of however this body works, and I don't begin to understand it. I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a doctor. And the same way, the way to deal with it also comes out of the way this body and this brain work. So I just watch them happen, and neither of them I associate with me. What, what do you mean? The anger is a phenomenon that occurs. I can sense it. 
like maybe a sweat, maybe I have feelings of vengeance. Right, it starts in the body. Your your palms yeah. sweat. So your heart begins to race. Yeah, there are adrenaline things Adrenaline is pumping through Mind. your body. Absolutely. Well, and then maybe uh, uh, whether I should act on it, whether I shouldn't, that also comes out of this body. So for me, these are just but these are real choices, psychosomatic aren't they? reactions. They are, but the choices we make as well. Well, it's not clear aren't to they? me who makes them. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, if you're saying we're not responsible for our own choices, but I guess we can. No, get no, I didn't that. say no. that. No? no, much worse than that. What's worse? I can't find. Worse than I that. can't find who the we is, <laughs> so I don't know whether we're responsible or they're not because I can't find who we are. Knowing reality, finding peace. Journalist Sarah Mann speaks with Jonathan Harrison, the non-dual Buddhist psychology and meditation teacher, and author of the book. Ending stress.